Thank you. You may be seated. Hey, thank you, Nicole. How are y'all doing? Good. Great. We have a great right in the back. Awesome. Yeah, good to great. Yeah, somebody should write a book on that. How, how are you? Yeah, first day of October. Woo! Yeah, and it's going to be 80 degrees this week. Yeah, I don't completely understand that. I was looking forward to long sleeve shirts and stuff like that, and, but nonetheless, yeah, it's going to be 80 degrees, but we will take it. We will absolutely, absolutely take it. Um, yesterday, <clears throat> I was eating supper with my wife because we do that every now and then, and I was looking on my phone, not that we were not communicating or anything like that. It was at the end of the meal. She, anyway, I looked on my phone, and I received an exercise reward. I did. And it looks like this. It looks like this. The September Challenge, I achieved the September Challenge Award. I now have this badge. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. It's a, it's a, big, it's a big deal, real big deal. In fact, it says this right here. You earned this award by burning at least 222 calories per day for 14 days. I know that y'all don't think that's a lot, but I haven't done any exercising and I still got the This is like a participation trophy, is what this is. And just to make myself feel better about all this, um, 14 times 222 is 3,106 calories last month that I burned, right? Yeah, isn't that amazing? Yeah, you don't stay this small and not do some exercising. <laughs> And my wife just went smack, yeah, all right. All right, so, so that's enough of that. We're in a series called um, Questions, and it's questions that God asks people in the Scripture. And so I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Joshua chapter 7. Joshua chapter 7, and that is, that's where we're going to begin today, Joshua chapter 7. And... Um, Chris, I'm having trouble finding Joshua. Yeah, Joshua chapter 7. In Joshua chapter 7, um, in chapter 6, actually, uh, the children of Israel has just defeated Jericho. It was an amazing miracle. They, they walked around Jericho for seven days, and on the seventh day, they basically yelled, and the walls fell in. And then they were supposed to destroy Everything in Jericho, they were not supposed to take any of the plunder. Everything, every, every uh, animal was supposed to be killed, and they were supposed to burn all the stuff that was in Jericho. They weren't, weren't supposed to take any of it. It was a command of God. So in chapter 7, verse 1, we have kind of a glimpse that something bad is going to happen. Because in verse 1 of chapter 7, it says, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things for Achan, the son of uh, Carmi, which, which is also an appetizer in some restaurants. Son of, yeah, that wasn't a good, good joke at all. Um, Zabdi, the son of Zerah, and the tribe of Judah took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. So God's upset about this. 
So verse two, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Haven, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they uh, returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toll up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebram and struck them at the descent and the hearts of all the people melted and became as water. They did not expect to lose. They did not expect to lose because of the miraculous victory that they had just had with Jericho. And so this is a smaller town. They didn't expect to lose. And so they're, they're wondering what in the world is going on. So then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. And he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? And the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned and they have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. And they have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. So the prayer was, was Joshua down on his face before the ark and it started probably at least in the morning, afternoon, and he went all the way to the evening. And he's crying out to God because they've been defeated and he's wondering why. And he's actually, if you read his words, he's laying the fault onto God. God, it's your fault that we, that we did not have victory over AI. It is your fault. And if you don't do something about this, your name is going to be tainted in the area. Nobody's going to believe in your name anymore. It's just going to be wiped out. That's what's going to happen. And so he's laying the blame on God. And then the Lord answered him in the evening and said, uh-uh, get up off your face. You are the ones that have done something wrong, and you are the reason that there isn't victory. So why have you fallen on your face? And I think sometimes that this, this is a principle that um, relates to believers. Have you ever had a moment where you were supposed to have victory, but you didn't have victory? Have you ever had one of those moments? Something was supposed to go well, and it didn't go well, and you wondered why? Well, anytime those types of events happen in your life, the first stop is to self-reflect. The first stop is to say, hey, is there some sin in my life that caused this to happen in this particular way. Now, we know from Scripture that not everything that happens in your life that's bad is because of some sin in your life. It just isn't. Uh, there's a lot of things that happen in this life that has nothing to do with any sin that is in your life at all. And, you know, the bad times weren't because you sinned, but there are times where stuff happens in your life that it's because of 
you sinning. It's because of you not doing what God has told you to do. I've had one of those times. I've had a couple of them, but I'm just going to tell you about one of them. And the one is embarrassing enough, okay? When I was younger, I, uh, well, let me just fast forward that a little bit. Um, <clears throat> when I was in a church in Virginia, about a year and a half in, I was a youth pastor there, and up until that point, everything in the ministry was just blessed. I mean, it, we had teenagers, uh, the teenage group has, had grown, we were having a great time, uh, kids were learning the Bible, um, I'd started doing some stuff with children, I mean, it was, it was just a great time, but it hit about the year and a half mark, and things didn't go so well. Like, I kept hitting roadblock after roadblock after roadblock, and I kept wondering why I was hitting these, these roadblocks, and I just couldn't figure it out. I was trying hard. I was doing everything I was taught to do. I was praying. I was seeking God, but there was just something. There was a wall that had just kept hitting, 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 and I wasn't, um, the youth group wasn't, <clears throat> it had stagnated a little bit, and so uh, I, I prayed and I said, Lord, why is this? And help me, help me get through this because I just thought it was something emotional. Well, I was in chapel at Liberty University and um, I was sitting in chapel and uh, the speaker was speaking about sometimes in your life, if you have a sin in the past, it will prevent you from having blessings right now. It will prevent you from being victorious for God now, something that you haven't rectified in your past. And he said that you can go for a particular period of time, but at some point in time, God is going to stop you so that you will go back in your life and you'll take care of that sin, and then he will bless you again. And so it's in that moment that I realized what my sin was. And I really don't want to tell you about this today, but I'm going to tell you about it. My sin was I stole several books from a library when I was in junior high. Several books. Now, let me give you the perspective so you understand why I stole the books, because at least that would make me a better sinner. <laughs> Don't we all do that, right? So, so there was this mystery series called the Three Investigator Mystery Series. I don't know if anybody's ever read those books, but I just love those books, and I wanted the whole set. And if I get my mind on something that I want to collect all of it, I go after it. For instance, don't judge me, but currently there are Harry Potter Hershey bars that is like one of two one of 12, two of 12, three of 12, and we don't have five, six, and nine, and I'm looking everywhere to complete the set. I don't care. I know that Harry Potter is of the devil, but I want the whole set, okay? I know that. I know that. Either way you look at it, he's working, the good side's working for God, the bad side's, I'm not God, the good side's working for the devil, the bad side is, okay, so uh, enough of that. So these three, three investigator mystery series, when I was younger, I thought, man, I can't find the 12 or 19 copies that I don't have in the series. And lo and behold, at my junior high in the library, they had every, every volume that I didn't have. So my little mind started working. How can I get these to be mine? And so I'd take the book off the shelf when we go to the library. I would take the card out of the front of the book. I don't even know if they do that anymore. 
right? Uh, I, don't, I don't think they do that. I think they scan a code. I think that's what they did. But we had a card that you wrote your name on, and then they put a stamp on it. And it was a date where you were supposed to return it, okay? And it was on the card and on the little thing. So I took the card out of the front of the book, and I folded it and put it in my back pocket because what I knew was the librarian would check to see if the card was still in your book or not to see if you had checked it out. So each time I'd open up my book like this, and I would just walk right out the door because she wasn't checking the other stamp. She was just looking to see if the card was there. So over a period of time, I stole 15 to 19 books out of, <laughs> out of the school library and took them home. And in high school, I didn't think anything of it. Obviously, I didn't think anything of it when I was a junior in, high, in, in junior high, and I didn't think anything of it in high school. So I went on, and I went through Bible college, got the church, was here at a year and a half, was hitting something, and in that moment in that chapel, God revealed to me that I stole property back when I was in junior high. By the way, that's middle school for those of you who don't know that. Junior high, and I needed to go rectify that. So I think it was a Thursday. I think it was. That's kind of a blur. But what I did was I went home, I got all the books together, and on Friday, I took all those books back to the junior high library, and I walked into the library, and I set them on the desk, and the librarian didn't know what was going on. She thought I was donating books to the library, and I said, no, back when I was a student here, I stole all these books, and I'm really sorry, and here they are back right? And then I left very quickly. <laughs> I did not hang around. But the moment I did that, something in my heart was freed. Something, something that was pushing me down was all of a sudden just gone. Because not only had I asked God to forgive me of that sin, I had rectified the situation and made it right by taking the books back. As crazy as that was many years later, I took the books back. And ladies and gentlemen, you might not, you may be looking for victory in your life and wondering why in the world you don't have victory. And it might be something that's in your past that you need to deal with. You need to ask forgiveness for it and then you need to make it right. Whatever it is, you need to make it right. Or you can't, you can't move on. You absolutely can't move on. So, why have you fallen on your face? You keep falling on your face over and over and over and over again. Get up and deal with the sin, and then you'll have victory, is, is what God is saying to Joshua. So that's the first question, okay? Here's the second one, okay? Why are you crying? Why are you crying? Um, <clears throat> has anybody ever heard that song, Why is James, Why is James Crying? Because he just got dunked on? Nobody? No? Yeah, it, it goes, why is James crying? Because he just got dunked on. Hip, hip, he was standing in my way, so I jumped up in the air and I jammed it in his face. It's a very loving song. Very, very loving song. Anyway, yeah, so when I see this, that's what's going through my mind. But as we start to talk about this, there's a couple of things that I want you to know about crying, okay? So why are you crying? First of all, God sees you when you cry every time. He's not ignoring you. He doesn't go into another room because it's making him, him, him uncomfortable. He's, he's a little bit uncomfortable. He's not going into another room. He sees you when you cry. 
And in 2 Kings, it says this, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Every time you cry, God sees it. He sees your tears and he cares. Not only does he see them, he collects them. He keeps them. He puts them in a bottle and he keeps them. There isn't one tear that you have cried in your life that God doesn't have a copy of it in his presence. He has it. And you're like, Philip, how in the world do you know that? Well, Psalms says this, you have kept count of my tossings, you have put my tears in a bottle. Are they not in your book? He remembers and keeps every sad moment that you have ever had. That's amazing, isn't it? And so God, God isn't up in heaven expecting you to be happy and joyful all the time. He knows that there's going to be times of sorrow and there's going to be times where you cry out to him. And every time you cry out to him, every time you have tears in your eyes, God notices those tears and he values them enough to preserve them and keep them. That's how much he loves you. So why are you crying? So to get to where uh, this is asked of God, I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And we'll pause for a moment for a wardrobe malfunction. John chapter 20. By the way, just in case you're visiting, that is my wife. So John chapter 20, why are you crying? Verse one says this. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she saw that the stone was taken away from the tomb. So it's Resurrection Sunday. Everybody should be happy or concerned, one of the two, right? So verse 11 But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stopped to look in the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, sorry, I did that in the first service too, woman, I don't think they said it that way. I'm not sure how they said it, but you know, we are American. Okay, woman, there it is. I can't quit saying it. I don't know how you'd say that. Woman, I don't know how they say that. (laughs) Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. She didn't know it was Jesus because she was emotionally distraught and caught up in her crying. That's why. And Jesus said to her, woman, Why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Why are you weeping? Why are you crying? Ladies and gentlemen, sometimes when you are crying, you are looking at something that you think is a disaster, but is actually a victory. Sometimes when you are crying and you're distraught and you think the worst is happening around you, you are actually in the middle of a miracle. And it's your crying that is keeping you from seeing the miracle of God's working around you. Does this make sense? 
You're so distraught. You're so much crying. You're so involved in the moment that, good night, my world is falling down. And I can understand how Mary got to the position that she was in. And you can too. She believed in Jesus. And three days before that, Jesus gets arrested, beaten, stuck on a cross. He died and was buried in the tomb where she was at to see him. Her, her world had crumbled in all around her. And now she's there to prepare the body for burial, even though it had been already buried, they didn't have time to do it. So she's there to prepare the body and the body isn't there. And the only thing that she can think is somebody stole the body and she was fixated on that one possibility. That was the only possibility that she thought of. In fact, she was so distraught, she didn't even recognize that she was talking to two angels. Most of the time in scripture, when angels appear, people either fear, and the angels have to say, fear not, or they have to comfort the person while they're in the room. She didn't even know she was talking to two angels. She was so distraught. She went out to the garden and there was Jesus, somebody she had seen her entire life. And because she was so emotional and because she was crying and because the world was crumbling in around her, she did not recognize the very savior she was looking for in the tomb. She says to the gardener, where have you taken his body? Just let me know. I know you didn't want it in that tomb anyway for some reason, but just tell me where it is. I will take it and take care of my Lord's body. She never thought that there was another possibility, that there was another option in that moment. She never thought past her, they stole his money. She couldn't think of another, it's not opportunity, it's another what? Option. She couldn't think of another option. And ladies and gentlemen, if you are crying and you cannot think of any other option but the one, you need to step back and get your crying under control. You need to step back and get your emotions under control because there's always more than one option because we serve a savior that is working in your life in any situation that you're in, in any situation. And it's not just this. And sometimes our emotion, we get so fixated on this that we fail to see how God is working outside of that. Does that make sense? He's doing something. And in every situation in your life, God is working. He's working it out for your good. And you just have to get your emotions under control, step back and see what he's doing in your life to make your life better. That's what you have to do. It's not that you quit crying because there's some things in your life that stinks when, they, when it happens. Right? She never expected to go to a tomb. She took the this, this stuff with her to anoint that body. She didn't want to do that. But when she got there and it was empty, she just fell apart. She just needed to breathe a moment and say, okay, well, there's a couple of different options why this isn't here. Maybe I'm at the wrong tomb. Okay, I'm not at the wrong tomb. He's not here. Did he say anything about this? 
Because he had. Come on, church. He had said something about this. And to think of different options when, when you're just fixated is really just a healthy thing to do. Why are you crying? Why are you weeping uncontrollably? Quit weeping uncontrollably. Dial it back a little bit. Cry, but look to see what God is doing in your life in this moment because he is always working. Don't miss the miracles that are happening in your life because you're fixated on what is wrong. Come on. Don't do that. Look beyond what's happening to what's happening around you. So there you go. Why are you crying? Right? Ah, that one's so good. It is so good. All right, next, Matthew 14. Look, I'm very well aware that each one of these could be a sermon, right? But for some reason, God wanted it this way, and so here we are. But each one of these are just something that you can unpack during the week if you just think about them a little bit. So here's the next one, Matthew 14. Um, And we'll begin reading with verse 20, well, yeah, verse 22, okay? This is what it says. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat, that's Jesus, and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now, I know some of your translations have toward Jesus. I'd submit to you today that I think that the original is really translated like I just read it. He came to Jesus, came to him. He wasn't on his way to Jesus. He actually made it to Jesus and was walking with him going back to the boat. So he came out of the boat, walked to Jesus, and now he's side, to side, side by side with Jesus. He came to him. You're like, Philip, what in the world are you talking about? I've always heard that it was toward, and it's in the middle, and that's when he drowned, and he started to drown, and he cried out. No, I think he was walking right beside him. I think he was. Look, let me put it to you this way. Maybe, maybe it will help you out. You came to church today. That means you're here, right? Yeah, I, I came to the game last Friday night. You went, I mean, you were there. So he got out of the boat and picture this, Peter is walking all the way to Jesus and now he's beside Jesus walking 
back to the boat. It's beautiful. But either way you see this passage, and you can disagree with me, that's just fine. There's a lot of people that are wrong. (laughs) I'm just messing around a little bit. And so wrong, this is what happens in this story. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, that's because he was right beside him. Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? So the question is, why do you doubt? Picture this and just go with the way I just presented it, okay? He steps out of the boat. He walks all the way to Jesus. What is happening to him as he's walking to Jesus? Is it sunshine in the air? Is there a seagull coming by looking pretty? No, there's a storm. It hasn't stopped. But for some reason, Peter, when he gets out of the boat, he's very faithful. He has more faith than I do. I can't swim. He would be walking, wind is hitting him, rain is hitting him, but he's making it all the way to Jesus and he turns around and walks with Jesus in the direction that Jesus was going. He had faith and peace in the midst of the storm that whole time he was walking toward Jesus. He gets beside Jesus and all of a sudden, his circumstances get his attention. He starts looking at the waves He starts looking at at the rain and the wind and all that kind of stuff, and he becomes scared, and he starts sinking. And Jesus says, why do you doubt? Ladies and gentlemen, don't we do the same thing? We have a storm in our life. We have peace in our life. We're walking with Jesus, and then all of a sudden, we start looking at the circumstances, and we start thinking that the circumstances are overcoming us, and we become very concerned, and then we just start sinking Don't you and I do that too, right? And you might be sitting here saying, yeah, but but Jesus was actually on earth in the flesh. Like Peter was going to Jesus in the flesh and if I could just see Jesus right beside me, I would be just fine. No, you wouldn't, because Peter wasn't. And here's the rub. In your life right now, Jesus is not in front of you He's not behind you. He's not beside you. He is in you. He's in you. And he never leaves. If you've received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, he resides inside of the believer and he ain't going nowhere. Yes, that is Southern. And I'm going to keep the ain't. He's not going anywhere. He's with you. So in the midst of your troubled times, when you start to be overwhelmed by your circumstance, you need to remember Jesus is inside of you, cry out to you, he will lift you up and set you above the waves. See, sometimes Jesus doesn't calm the storm until he gets you back in the boat. right? Sometimes Jesus doesn't calm the storm until he gets you back in the boat. And he's with you every step, every rocking wave, every time wind hits you in either direction, he's with you to give you the power that you need to get back in the boat. And once you're back to your destination 
and he is done teaching you about faith, he calms the storm and everything becomes okay. Why do we doubt? Why do we doubt that God has our best interest in mind? Why do we do that? But we do. So we have to fight against that. By the way, faith equals peace. If you have peace inside, you have faith. But when you start doubting, what happens to peace? Right? Because doubt and peace can't coexist. It can't coexist. So there you go. And here's the last question. Who touched me? Now, we're not going to turn to this passage of Scripture. I'm going to tell you the story. You can look it up later. Who touched me? There's this lady had a health issue, and it was bad. She'd gone to a bunch of doctors, a bunch of people, trying to get this health issue done. And Jesus is walking along, and so she decides that she's going to go find Jesus, and she's going to reach out, and she's going to touch him. And so Jesus is in a crowd, and there's a bunch of people around, and she muddles her way in and reaches through the crowd to touch Jesus' garment. When she touches Jesus' garment, she feels his power go through her body and she's instantly healed of her particular situation. Jesus, feeling the power go out of him, stops walking and says, who touched me? Now the disciples were, were like, Jesus, everybody is touching you. Everybody is, we're in a crowd. We're bumping up against each other. What do you mean, who touched you? Who, who touched, what? what? We're all touching you. And he said, no, somebody reached out by faith and touched me and I felt my power go out of me. So let me pause here a moment to say this. You can know a lot about Jesus intellectually, but never really touch him. You can know a lot about Jesus intellectually and keep bumping into him. You touch him when you reach out in faith. Are you tracking? You reach out in faith to touch him. He's there. You reach out and you touch him. Lord, I need you. You're reaching out to grab a hold of him because you know he is what you need. You reach out. So there's a difference between bumping in and just casually, you know, bumping, whatever, in a crowd, and someone intentionally reaching out because they need help to touch Jesus. This takes faith. And Jesus wasn't about to allow her faith to remain hidden. So he stopped and said, who touched me? That person had faith, and he made that faith come to the forefront to be proclaimed to the world. That's what he did. So who touched me? And so my question for you and I today is this. If Jesus was to ask that question today in this room, would you be guilty? Would you be guilty of reaching out in faith to touch Jesus because of your issue? Would you be guilty because you got to a desperate moment and you're like, he's the only thing that can get me through this moment. I know he has the power to do it. And so you reached out to touch him. Would you be guilty of reaching out and touching Jesus? And I hope we all would be. You see, there might be people in this room right now that have never asked forgiveness for their sins and reached out to him as their savior. 
And if you've never done that, you just know a little bit about Jesus in your mind. He hasn't changed your life yet because you haven't received him as your savior. Today might be the day that you get on your knees and you say, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. I want you to be my savior. Please come into my life. I want a relationship with you. And it's in that moment that he will feel that, he will know that, and he will breach back to you. His power will come into your life. That's the point of salvation. For other of us in this room, sometimes I think we just try to be a little, little too self-sufficient sometimes, don't we? Try to be a little bit too self-sufficient. We have Jesus over here, but he's not really in our heart, God in our life. He's over here, but we really don't think that he cares enough to handle what we're going through, something like that. And it's just a moment where we need to pause and say, look, the only reason I'm alive is because of Jesus. And the only reason I'll get through today is because of Jesus. And I've got to reach out to him daily And I want him to ask who touched me. And I want to be guilty of depending on Jesus every day of my life. Amen? So who touched me? I hope that you would be guilty of that. And I think that a lot of you are. And that's a good thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the stage you've given us. And wow. Father, thank you for caring for us so much that you see when we're down and you value it. Do you like it when we celebrate? I think you do, but you never forgive us. I mean, you never forget us when we're sad. Father, thank you for the times in our lives where um, you have caused what we were trying to do to fall apart. You let it fall apart because you wanted to get our attention. And I pray that if there's anybody in this room that is at that moment in their life, that they will get up off their face and They'll ask you to show them what sin they need to deal with in their life so that they can have victory. For others in the room that have cried out to you in desperation, I pray that in this moment you'll acknowledge them. And you may already have this week before they got to this moment, but you'll acknowledge them in this moment. And you'll give them the street that they need to walk out of here with the peace that they need to handle their storm. Father, thank you for reaching down and grabbing us when we doubt and lifting us back up. Thank you for calming the storms in our life at your own pace. 